Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I just think there's an incredible picture right now with what is taking place in Nepal and this seek and rescue mission that is happening. Because in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says this, reading from the NLT says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Everyone say lost. lost. The title of my message this morning is simply this, Lostology. I wanna speak to you about lostology. Some of you are saying that's not a real word and you would be absolutely right. It's a made up word. But then again, biology wasn't a word once upon a time and geology was not a word once upon a time. They became a word because it was used often enough and it found itself in the dictionary. Have you noticed that? If you use a word often enough, it'll find its way into the dictionary. And so we're gonna make up a new word today, lostology. Lostology is simply the study of what it means to be spiritually lost and learn by what we can from that which is lost geographically. And so we wanna draw from natural lostness to draw a parallel with spiritual lostness and learn a lesson. And the reason I feel to do that is because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was the greatest lostologist around. He was just great on this particular subject. You see, there are many words used to describe the word Lost. Some of them are those that are far from God. Another one might be uh, the unchurched. Some might be more familiar with the term non-Christian or an unbeliever, but the Bible calls them lost. He calls those that are far from God, those that are unbelievers, those that are non-Christians, He calls them lost. Jesus spoke a lot about the lost. And I wanna read to you from a particular chapter um, written by a man by the name of Luke. um, uh, And it's an account where Jesus told three stories about lostness. Luke chapter 15, reading from verse one, says this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that He was associating with such sinful men and even, even, even eating with them. Wow, we've got two groups of people here. We've got the sinners and the notorious ones. Any sinners out there? Any notorious ones out there? And and they chose to listen to what Jesus had to say. Wow. Wow. And the religious people, the ones who should have known better, didn't come to listen, they came to complain. They came to be critical and cynical of everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did. Two groups of people. There were the one who came to complain and the ones who came to listen. And in this room this morning, we've got two camps. We've got those that are here to listen And we've got those who are here to critique and be cynical and critical and complain. And that's every Sunday. But the choice is yours. 
And if you're in an area in the church where there's a lot of critical, cynical people, I would say this, bring life to that area. Resurrect the area in the church that you're sitting in. If you're in a dead row, if you're in a row where people are just folding their hands, not taking any notes and just, (laughs) if they're doing that, you know what? Your mission this morning is to resurrect your row. You need to bring life to your row. Okay, so who's here to listen? Who's here to complain? (laughs) Who's here to mock and be cynical? It's always going to be around. This is a tension to be managed, not a problem to be solved. Anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But this is really interesting for me. Um, And the main reason, the main reason that these religious people complained was just jealousy. To quote my good friend Arnold Schwarzenegger, the great theologian, he said, everyone pities the weak, but jealousy you have to earn. I love that. I love that. And I I think that's what we see with Jesus, you know. Jesus earned the right for the people to be so jealous because he was just doing the job. Just doing the job. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that we have a national television program called A Current Affair it takes great delight in pulling down big ministries who are doing great things for God. And I've just got no time for it. It's not founded on any truth. And it's just what Jesus is dealing with here. Cynical, critical people who refuse to listen and refuse to hear, but it's just founded and based on jealousy. <laughs> have to earn jealousy. I love it. Anyway, let's get into this story this morning. It says, so Jesus told them a story. They're there to complain. And then half their complaints was, we want deeper things. And he goes, I'll tell you some stories. He doesn't pander to their desire for deeper things. Here they are accusing the Messiah of not going deep enough, not being spiritual enough. You're not hanging with the right people. You're not eating the right things. You're not drinking the right things. Who do you think you are? And he's the son of God. And they want him to dance and he won't dance. They want him to perform and he won't perform. He just won't. It's like when he was tempted by the devil in the desert in Matthew chapter four. And the devil says, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus says, oh, we don't do that. Not in my house. We don't turn rocks to bread. Oh, you give me bread, I'll multiply bread. I turn bread to bread, but I don't turn rocks to bread. We don't do that in our house. I love that. I love this thought that Jesus won't dance with the religious people. And so he tells them a story to infuriate them further. And he says, there was a man with a hundred sheep and one gets lost. What will he do? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, how basic is this? He says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness to go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, when he joyfully carry it on his shoulders and when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbours saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there will be more, uh, there is more in, uh, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. How do you make heaven happy? Get the lost saved. And I think that's a pretty simple point made very clear. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He tells another story. 
He says, or suppose a woman with 10 silver coins loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbours and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. You want to make heaven happy? Save the lost. You think he's made a pretty good point, pretty clear. But he tells another story. He says, to illustrate the point further, I thought it's pretty obvious, but he tells one more story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, uh, I want my share of your estate before you die. In other words, I wish you were dead. And so the father agreed, divided up his wealth and gave it between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry, he, even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called my son. Please take me uh, on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. His son ran to him, uh, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Bring a, uh, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And kill the calf that has been fattened. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but he's now found. So let the party begin. Get down and boogie. That's what it says in my paraphrased version. See, lost is not only a biblical word, it's a special word. And it has special meaning. And I want to unpack that for us today to give us a fresh understanding of our mission. To push the reset button, as it were. Not to bring any condemnation, but just to bring a refocusing of our purpose, mission and mandate as a local church when it comes to doing what matters most. And for us to do that, we need to understand the significance of this word, lost. I've got three things about these three stories that will help us understand lostness all the more, I trust and pray. Help me, Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Number one, nothing can be lost without first being owned. You've got to get this. See, being lost implies that you have an owner. 
Jesus told these three stories and what He was saying is the sheep had an owner, the shepherd. And the coin had an owner, the woman. And the son had an owner, the father. And, and why Jesus uses the word lost is He's saying that every person on this planet has an origin. Every person on this planet has a beginning, has a creator, has an owner, has one that they belong to. See, these people aren't just alone. They are lost, which implies they have an owner and that they have a belonging. They can belong because they have an owner. I don't know what lie has been told to you that maybe you were unwanted by your parents. But I want you to know that before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye, before you were a thought in your mother's eye, the Father knew you. It was the Father Himself who predestined you into existence. It was He who knitted you together in your mother's womb. It was He who put your DNA into you. It's He who chose the colour of your eyes and the colour of your hair. It was He who chose how tall you'd be or how short you would be. It's He who chose everything about you. You have a Creator. You have an owner. You have one who knows you more intimately than any other person on the planet. And so it's not by chance Jesus uses this word lost. He's implying that you have an owner and as a result, you can belong again. See, I think for too long, the church has got it wrong. We have forced people in the church to have to behave a certain way. And that behaviour can look anything from getting your hair cut to getting the tattoos removed to stop smoking. You're not allowed to touch alcohol. You can't wear those clothes. And, and we address behaviour modification. And Jesus never came to address your behaviour. And I think the church has got it back to front. We, we, we say, and when, when your behaviour is okay, then you can believe. And when your behaviour is okay and you're believing right now, you can belong. And Jesus will have none of that. You'll never see that in the Word. You'll never see Jesus modelling that. You'll see Jesus doing the exact opposite. You'll see Jesus including people. You'll see Jesus letting people belong. And out of the belonging becomes a belief. And it's out of the belief that behaviour begins to change. I know for myself, and I know I speak for many in this room, there are things that you used to do that you no longer do, not because you were told not to, not because you were told you can't or you mustn't, but simply because you no longer have that desire because your love for Jesus, your appreciation for Him is far greater than the desire and the pull on those other things. And that's the way it should be. Christianity is not a behaviour modification cult. It's a living dynamic relationship with our owner, with our creator, with the one who made us. We have a Creator. He loves you. He knows you. And you might say, oh, Tony, yeah, but you don't know what I've been up to. I don't. I don't even want to know. That's why I don't go on Facebook that often. But God knows you. And the amazing thing is, He not only knows you and sees what you've been doing and saying, but He still loves you. And the other thing it implies is that you're valued. You see, these three stories, let's just do the math for a moment. The first one starts with 100 sheep. And he says, if you lose one, what percentage is that? 
It's 1%. Then he tells another story. He says, this woman had 10 coins and she loses one. What's that percentage? 10%. And then he tells another story about a man who had two sons and he loses one. And that's 50%, yeah? Have I got my maths right? And, and I believe what Jesus is saying in telling these different stories is that whether there is 50% lost, whether there's 10% lost, or whether just 1% lost, you matter to me. In other words, until 100% are no longer lost, we're going to keep searching. We're going to keep searching. We're going to keep digging. We're going to keep asking. We're going to keep befriending. We're going to keep inviting. We're going to keep knocking. We're going to keep talking. We're going to keep close in people's world and people's lives. Because while there are some that are lost, we have a job to do. See, Jesus didn't come and say, when the church gets the music right, when the church gets the music just right, I will come back. Jesus has left here for a purpose and it's not to do great music and it's not to build great buildings. It's to be on mission and reach a lost and hurting, disconnected, dysfunctional, broken world. We try to create heaven here on earth by singing. You know, if you want, if you want heavenly music, you know, if it's just about that, then we can go to heaven. Everything we're trying to do here on earth, we can do in heaven with the exception of reaching lost people. That's our primary mandate is to reach those that are far from God. Those that are lost. Those that don't know they have an owner. Those that don't know they have a creator. Those that don't know that they can belong. And we're here to model that. Isn't that awesome? See, on your worst day, you still have value to your owner. If I had a $20 bill in my hand and I stood on it and it got all dirty and messy, guess what? It would still be $20. It wouldn't be worth any less. And if I used that $20 to buy drugs, alcohol, or have a good time with a person of the other opposite sex, it doesn't matter what that $20 has been used for. It doesn't lose its value. It doesn't matter how you've used your life. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the hands that have been exchanged. You still have not lost your value. You are still valuable to your owner. As I've already mentioned before, that there is a desperate search and rescue mission going on in Nepal right now. And uh, there's been a couple of survivors that have been dragged from the wreckage. A few days ago, a 15-year-old boy was pulled out of the rubble having survived five days. But just before that, there was a young baby. I don't know if any of you saw it. A picture of that young baby. I've got a picture on the screen of this young baby. Dirty, dusty, smelly, lungs probably full of dirt and junk and probably not the healthiest it's ever been. But that little baby is of no less value to the mother than when it's been cleaned up, the value has not been lost. Church, you've got to catch this. The value has not been lost. I cannot imagine a mother anywhere and say, oh, no, nah, it's dirty. 
Yucky. It's horrible. Take it away. But we do that. We do that. When we look at somebody who comes through those doors for the first time and say, "Uh, how many tattoos you got? Have you smelt that guy? Have you seen what that girl's wearing? And all the girls get together because her dress is too short, a.k.a. she's beautiful and we don't want her touching any of our boys. Because I'm not married yet and you get in line, girlfriend. People aren't stupid. You can have up on the screen, welcome home, but that will never suffice for the welcome they feel. It will never suffice. Welcome home was never an image on a screen. It was an attitude. It was an all-embracing, all-encompassing attitude. And we've worked hard at becoming an all-encompassing, all-embracing church. I've gone to the wall on this. We've lost good people over this. We've lost well-meaning Christians over this who didn't get our mandate or our mission. People who wanted it more comfortable, who wanted it deeper, who wanted longer worship, who wanted quieter worship, who wanted it all about them. I just didn't know worship was meant to be about us. But, but, but I'm very careful in the language I use. I'm very careful in the way I present the Word of God because I don't want us to be so caught up in, in, in what we want that we don't acknowledge those that we have our doors open for. See, the moment I say to you, turn to the Bible where it says, because everyone knows where, do you know we've just excluded everyone who doesn't know where it says? You, you know where the story of, they don't. The people we are reaching don't know the story of. We've got young people who have not heard of Jesus. They haven't heard of David and Goliath. They don't know about Jaina and the big fish. They don't know. And so we can say, welcome home. But when I say, hey, turn to it, and you know where it says, it's exclusion after exclusion after exclusion. And we can sit here as Christians and say, why does he do that? We know that, Tony, get on with it. No, 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 not everyone knows that. And so if you're visiting this morning and you haven't got a clue what's going on, you are so welcome. We're just glad you're here and you haven't run off. You matter. You matter. You matter. My second point is simply this. The value of the lost is seen in the effort of the search. See, talk is cheap. Now, I believe this, amen, yes, yes, and yes, but it's seen, the reality of this. The value of the lost is seen in the effort of the search. There are people clamouring all over this debris, tirelessly working through the night, trying to rescue those that are still alive. And it's seen on the news, morning, noon and night, there's a tireless, relentless pursuit that says effort, 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 that says meaningful and it says purpose. Jesus left the splendour of heaven. You know, heaven's that place we talk about where there'll be no more weeping, no poverty, 
Yeah, no sickness. And Jesus left all of that. He left the place that we're looking forward to going to to come here and be mistreated, beaten, battered, bruised, accused, ultimately crucified, mocked right up until his last breath. Why? Because we're worth it. See, let's be honest. Every one of us have a default to comfort. We do. Why, why, why become uncomfortable? Why ruin this? I had someone in our chapel service say to me, say, this is great. I don't want it to grow any more than it is. They just like it as it is. It's a handful of people. And I appreciate the sentiment, but there wasn't an ounce of mission in that statement. There's nothing wrong with you liking it a certain way. Us acknowledging I like it is not wrong. It's when we allow what we like to stop us doing what Jesus has told us to do. That's when it becomes a problem. And so we say, you know what, I, I like this, but I'm prepared to do what I don't like to be obedient to what Christ does want. That's the job. That's the mandate. And so we see Jesus was mistreated. He left the comfort and the splendour of heaven in order to reach us. And here we are some 2,000 years later living in the blessing of what he did in his discomfort. If you ask Jesus what was better, being in heaven or on the cross? As far as from a, from a personal perspective, th- there's a pain. I think this is what Jesus was trying to get across when he said the good shepherd will leave the comfort of the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. That's an inconvenience. A bad shepherd says, you know what? It's one person who cares. It's one sheep, stupid sheep. Shouldn't have got himself lost. Why should I have to, you know, leave this to go find this sheep, which I may not even find? See, see, I want you to know, even if you don't find someone, it still doesn't devalue the search. The search says something. The search says you are valuable. Us being on mission, us just trying, us having a go says says you're valuable. If they don't find one more person alive in Nepal, does it devalue the search? If they keep putting out more and more dead bodies, does it devalue the search? Not if your family's in there, it doesn't. If there's a, if there's a fraction of a chance that your loved one could be alive, it doesn't devalue the search. And if a body is pulled out 10 days later, I can't imagine a family member saying anything bad about those that have been searching. I, I think again, our, our default setting is not only just to, to comfort, but it's also to results. And I think we're happy to get involved with the mission of God as long as we get results and as long as they come immediately. And I'm asking you to do this just because this is what Jesus would do. Jesus left the splendour of heaven He loved all men, but not all men were saved. But he did it anyway. And I think sometimes, what's the point they're not going to? It's not about how they'll respond. It's whether you'll respond. It's whether I'll respond. See, sometimes we make the goal how they'll respond to my effort of putting on a dinner for them instead of just saying, I'm going to put the dinner on for them regardless. 
This is the unconditional, no strings attached love that God demonstrated to us. He went on the cross and let people opportunity to respond. We have to at least give people opportunities. Are you with me this morning? And my third and final point is simply this. The effectiveness in finding the lost is seen in the wisdom of our approach. In other words, we need to understand our audience. I believe we're not as effective as we could be because we don't understand unchurched people. Even though many of us used to be unchurched, we've forgotten. We've forgotten. And so we don't understand them. When it comes to reaching lost people, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. And I believe that's why Jesus told three stories. It would have been better if he just told one story so we knew how to do this thing. But he told three stories because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's the same same theme, different approach. See, when you've got a lost sheep, you've got to think like a sheep to find a sheep. You've got to get this. You've got to think like a sheep. And if you're thinking like a sheep... It's going to take you to a green paddock, not the shopping mall. You might want to go shopping, but if you're going for sheep, you better think how sheep think. And if they're not in the lush green paddock, there's a good chance they're at a water hole because they've eaten from the lush green paddock. And, and, and it'll take you in, 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 a, in a direction that will be more possible of finding a lost sheep if you start thinking like a sheep. Are you getting this? And then it says, there's a lost coin. If you've got to find a coin, you've got to think like a coin. Have you ever noticed how coins can just hit the edge of their and just roll for miles? How did it end up over there? But if we're not thinking like a coin, we think, well, I dropped it here, it must be here. But you think, hang on, if I was a coin and I was dropped, and landed on my side, yeah, I'd probably be here. But if I landed on my edge, because I'm an edgy kind of a guy, <laughs> I could roll for miles. And you've got to start thinking like a coin. Is this making sense? Yeah. And when it comes to the prodigal son, you've got to think about the prodigal son. And I believe herein lies the wisdom why the father didn't go after his son. That's why Jesus told three different stories. Because people end up being lost for different reasons. And so the dad, instead of just seeing it from his perspective, I'm going to miss you, don't go. Which would be true for most parents. Some would say, no, please go. But anyway, (laughs) but generally speaking, it's like, don't go. That's thinking like a dad. Another way dads think is, don't go. Do you know how bad that will make me look like as a parent? So we're thinking like a dad. We're not thinking like the son. I believe the wisdom, what Jesus was trying to help us see was, if you think like a willful child, let him go. Let him go. And so he had the wisdom to just let him go. 
It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. The trouble is, we're chasing after lost sons, but letting lost sheep go. Because there's a difference between a lost sheep and a lost son. I can just imagine this sheep with his head down, tail up, eating in the grass, seeing a butterfly. This is just my imagination going wild now. And chasing the butterfly into a greener paddock where he eats some more to see a bee of which he then chases the bee. And then realises after chasing a butterfly, eating all this food and chasing the bees, he's a bit tired, so he's asleep. But when he wakes up, he's parched. He's so thirsty. He's looking for water now. And he's got himself well and truly lost. Well and truly lost. Which is a bit different than your son coming to you saying, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Two different things. They both end up lost, but our approach to them has to be different. Otherwise, we're going to waste a lot of time. And I think sometimes we make our sons or our mums or dads or our bikey friends, our homosexual friends, we make them as trophies. I want to get the big kill. I want to get the big one and say, I bought my. And they're not interested. They're not ready. And we're spending all of our time, effort and energy on someone who's just not interested. Because we're only thinking about it from my perspective. Wouldn't it be great if I came into church and I bought a bikey friend of mine? How good would that look? Yeah, for who? You. Are we going to get real or not? Are we? We're going to play games. We're going to play church. Because I've been through all this pain for us to play church. We didn't start this church just to play church. There's lots of churches doing that. Lots of great churches as well. But there are lots that just want to play the religious. I'm just not interested. I want us to get real. I, I never forget, and I've told this story a few times, it's happened a few times in our lifetime, but we've gone to shopping malls with young kids and, and lost them. <laughs> Kath said, you have, and, and you know what? I stand before you and say, I have. I've done everything wrong there is to be done as a parent. Kath always picks up our kids from school. I had this one day, one day, she said, can you pick up the kids from I said, sure. No probs. An hour and a half later, I get a phone call from this school. I don't know, what's this number? You know when you get a number, you don't recognise it, so you leave it, leave it, leave it. And I was like, gee, this person is persistent. I'm thinking, salesman, leave it. And I kept, I thought, I better answer it. It's a school. I said, uh, I've got some children of yours here. I'll be there. <laughs> I may have even lied and said, oh, sorry, I had my phone turned off. I, you know what you do in those moments. I don't know, just sorry. Sorry. But can you imagine you've got this, this lost child in the supermarket and you take the father's position in these three stories and say, willful child, running off like that and just, just let him go. There's a difference between willfulness and just getting lost. And you know what? In order to find this, I always think of this, there was a couple of times this happened, but I remember this one specific time. <laughs> and it involved Mitchie when he was very young. 
I was just thinking, in order to find a four-year-old boy, where would he be? See, what, what we do as parents, we think about where we would like to go. I tell you this, a four-year-old boy is not in Manchester, ladies. He's not. He's not in homewares. You can look in homewares and you'll never find your son. And so I'm thinking my boy is going to be in one of two places. One, the lolly aisle. Or two, the toy aisle. So of all the aisles, you've got heaps and heaps and heaps of aisles. Got it narrowed down to two. And of the two, toys or lollies? Which one do you think I went to first? Lollies. See, you got it. You can do it. It's what Jesus is saying. You can do this, guys. The Pharisees saying, we've got something deeper, something quiet. I'm trying to teach people here. You can do this. Just go to the lolly aisle. Go to your lolly aisle. And you have more chance of finding the lost in your lolly aisle because that's how lost people are thinking. We're not going to find the lost in our Bible study that we like. We're not going to find the loss in our seeker sensitive, uh, in, our, in our services where we're getting just touched by the power of God rolling around on the floor. That, 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 we're not going to find them there. The lost aren't here rolling around on the floor. They're not, you're not going to find them there. They're just, they're just not there. They're not there. I'll tell you who they will be when they see that. They'll be out, out there. And I'll be right behind them, just like, well, I don't know. And they're going to say to me, what was that? And I say, I don't know. I was going to ask you. I don't know what that was. I said, is that something you Christians do? I said, no, I thought it was something you unbelievers did. I don't know what that was. Seriously, we live in a world that is broken. Most parents are struggling financially or they're struggling to deal with their children, making ends meet, kids being bullied at school. These are real issues. They're not sitting at home and thinking, man, I... I wonder what the purpose of God for my life is. He's not thinking that. So we can preach about it and we just never answer the questions they've got and we're never scratching where the itch is. See, we've got to have an in their shoes. Am I going that long that you're going to cut me off with the... Oh, that's good, it's fine. I like that. I love that. That's awesome. That was great. I was going to call you up actually. I was. You're, you're actually putting into practice what I'm about to say. We've got to have an in their shoes approach not an in-their-face approach. Because church, when it comes to the in-your-face approach, we've got 10 out of 10. We've done that well. But in their shoes, and this is what made Jesus so effective. Jesus was very good at what I call crossing over. He's very good at crossing over. In Mark chapter, uh, Matthew sorry, chapter 9, verse 36, he says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were confused and helpless. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Can you see the progression? Had compassion. Why? Because they were confused and helpless. Why were they confused and helpless? They didn't have any leadership. Didn't know what they were doing. They're confused. And while he never excused sin, he was there for people trapped in their sin. And you and I need to be there for people like that too. I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, I caught up with a couple. 
people I haven't seen for a while, they're not Christians. And they got talking about a particular show that he was watching. And, and the people said, do you watch that show? And my friend said, yeah, I do. He goes, but aren't you a Christian? And he says, yeah. And so he says, well, so why do you ask me that question? He said, because I've met someone else from your church and they told me I shouldn't be watching that show. And I said to that person, can you tell me who they are? Because I just want to punch someone in the head right now. <laughs> can you see the damage we do in your face? You shouldn't be watching that show. We've got to be able to cross over and see it from people's point of view. If we don't, we're going to miss out. This one-size-fits-all approach is killing the church. I think it's killing the education system too. I really do. For some, school is a great place to learn. And for others, like me, not so much. Are you with me? As I saw more recently, great little... Uh, Quote, it says, the question is not how intelligent you are, but how are you intelligent? And, and whether it's reaching the last or raising your children, we can't have a one-size-fits-all approach. Because you may have little Johnny who's just a star pupil. And you know what we like about little Johnny being a star pupil? It makes us look like star parents. The trouble is, what about little Johnny's brother, little Tony? <laughs> he can make you not look so good as a parent he can make you not look not so good as a teacher but it doesn't mean I'm not intelligent and it doesn't mean you're not intelligent I, I, just, I, just, I'm just, I just hate tests that are tick a box I always think bigger than the box. I've always got a thousand questions to ask the teacher who put the, I just have. I wasn't a great Bible college student. I, I never forget when they used to ask us to play roles, certain scenarios, and we were doing an evangelism course. And, and you know what? If there's one thing that lost and the saved or the lost and the found can all agree on, we both hate evangelism. Don't we? Let's be honest. Everyone hates evangelism. Christians hate evangelism because we feel awkward and uncomfortable and, and it feels dumb. The unbelievers hate us doing it because all those things are true. <laughs> so we can agree on one thing. We hate evangelism. And so we're doing this evangelism course. And then what, what should you do? And they're going to critique me and what I should do. So I said, Tony, I want you to pretend you're drunk and, and you're going to knock on this door and this guy's going to answer and you're going to get in a dialogue. And so I'm like, oh, how pathetic. Anyway... I mean, if that's you, you, you know, there's lots of people who get a straight A in that. I'm just not that guy. So I said, i got a question. I said, why am I drunk? Am I drunk because I'm an alcoholic? I said, or am I drunk because I've just lost the love of my life and I don't know how to cope with life. And so for the first time ever, I've just turned to alcohol and I wasn't able to manage my alcohol. And so after one beer, I'm off my face because I can't deal with the harsh reality of losing my loved one. And he goes, Tony, go sit down. I'm like, 
I'm still waiting for my answer. I don't know why I was drunk that day. <laughs> Life's not a classroom. Life's messy. You know, if we, if we put in, this is, as a Christian, you're not allowed to do this. None of us would be here. You're not allowed to be drunk. Okay, there's half the church gone. I know, I know, I know. God told me. God told me. <laughs> Drugs. It's just now me and Kath. Maybe Kath. <laughs> Throw in a bit of swearing done. This place is empty. We're not condoning any of that. We're not. I love Victory. You're allowed to do it. No, I'm not, I didn't say that. I said, let's just be real about our struggle. Let's just be real about our struggle. I, I live in this weird world called being in ministry. And if you start telling your success stories, oh, it's all right for you. You start being open and honest and vulnerable about your fa- <gasps> People panic. Not you too. Ah, it's, just, it's just weird. It's weird. It's weird. You know, I, if you're visiting and, and you know, you've got a lot of questions about the church, I get it. Church is a weird place because people are here. But I do believe this to be true, that the church at its worst is still better than the world at its best. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 